Good evening and welcome to your Richie Allen Show. It's 5 o'clock here in Salford this December 12th, 2023, Tuesday's programme. Reach out to me via the app, download the app to the show, or use commentlive at richieallen.co.uk. Either way, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on today's topics, because we've got lots to discuss. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, Jana London has been on the program before. I invited Jana on the show today because she's been talking a lot about Enoch Burke. In fact, she attended a vigil for Enoch Burke outside Mountjoy Jail in Dublin at the weekend or last week. It has been announced this afternoon that Enoch Bork, an Irish teacher who refused to refer to a transitioning transgender student as they rather than he in May of last year, is going to spend Christmas in prison. What's going on? He was jailed for a second time in September for ignoring a court order banning him from the grounds of his former school in County West Meath. We'll talk to Jana about that. She'll join the programme in around about 25 minutes time the founder of Ireland's Natural Women's Council. Don't miss her. And later on, Christian Morris will be on the programme. I'm looking forward to you, for you, to meet Christian Morris. He is an Irish social commentator with a very interesting Odyssey channel where he opines and discusses very important matters such as gender ideology. Uh, Of course, he discusses Ireland's hate speech laws and much more besides Christian Morris will be on the programme a little bit later on in the second hour. So it's a packed old programme Tuesday on a miserable but dry, thank heaven to dry, Tuesday here in Salford in the northwest of the UK. Two very interesting guests. There is an Irish flavour to the programme. You might find yourself pining. You might have a pregnant woman's longing for a pint of Guinness and you don't understand what's going on. It's because there's an Irish flavour to the programme today. Flights to Rwanda then, second reading. That's debate, really. They're debating the government's flights to Rwanda legislation. Right, the government wants to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. The Supreme Court in the UK said, no, you can't, it's unlawful. So the government went to Rwanda and renegotiated the, the deal with the Rwandan authorities. And now it's up to MPs to vote on it. The vote is at seven o'clock. It could go either way. They're really getting excited about this in the media. Weapons of mass distraction. I mean, they could stop it at any time if they chose to. But we might come back to that, we might not. In the meantime, you will be aware of a barge called the Bibby Stockholm, which is moored just off of Dorset. And there are many asylum seekers housed on the barge. Uh, It was announced today, sadly, that A... One asylum seeker has died on the barge. As of yet, and I stand to be corrected because I'm speaking to you now and I'm not watching the news wires, but they haven't as of yet given a cause of death for the person involved. However, it hasn't stopped people speculating on it. Uh, Care for Calais is an organisation that advocates for the rights of asylum seekers. It has a CEO CEO, his name is Steve Smith. He was speaking to LBC Radio a short while ago. Steve Smith, care for Calais. It's hardly unexpected, I guess, because we as a charity have been receiving 
panicked calls of people both both on the Bibby Stockholm barge and also at the Weathersfield former airbase saying that the situation is so appalling that they're on the verge of committing suicide. So sadly and regrettably, um, it doesn't come as a huge surprise. Do they tell you what they comes, mean when sorry. they say that? Do they t- yeah, yeah. Sheila, Vericker is it the presenter? She should have pointed out, listen, it hasn't yet been established. What happened to the person? It might be suicide, but we don't know that anyway. Okay. Okay. I tell on. you what they mean when they say about conditions. What's, what's? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Go on, then tell us. Well, we, what do we know about the Bibby? We know that it's effectively a detention facility. Um, the, the government is trying to cram on board over five hundred people into a barge that was built for two hundred and twenty. Uh, it has narrow corridors. There's nothing to do on board. Um, effectively, people are crammed into to each single person room. Even the basketball has to be signed out for the sort of. There's an open air air basketball court in the centre, but even the basketball has to be signed out because it's considered too dangerous. That's health and safety on steroids, isn't it? I mean, that's that's Tony Blair, isn't it? The basketball needs to be signed out under supervision because it's considered dangerous. Um, the only way to get off the barge is to go through airport-style security uh, and onto a bus that takes people to the, the nearest town. But there are only scheduled bus times. Uh, the bus is run by those running the barge. Um, so if you miss the bus, you don't get into town. And, of course, these individuals are only being given a, just around £9 a week subsistence allowance in any case. So what do you do when you get there? So effectively, to all intents and purposes, it's a prison. Yeah, and Conservatives will, of course, no doubt say, Fulcum, Fulcum, they shouldn't be here. What do they expect? That's what Conservatives will say. I'm not a Conservative, so I won't say that. It sounds pretty awful to me. Of course, I'm not justifying people coming to any country illegally or dispensing with their documentation before doing so. But that sounds a bit unpleasant to me. So it does. That's my opinion. What's your opinion? More importantly, dearest listeners, so the media making a big deal of this today is that an asylum seeker has passed away. On the Bibby Stockholm, the situation in Gaza is dire. Is there any other way of saying that Israel has continued bombarding Gaza, uh, focusing now on Khan Yunus in the south? There has been fighting in Rafa, which of course is near the Egyptian border. The World Health Organization is saying the health system in Gaza has gone from 36 hospitals to only 11 in 66 days. So less than a third of hospitals remain. And according to the World Health Organization, and of course we'll be accused of picking and choosing when we believe the World Health Organization, you know, think COVID, I get it, I get it, fair enough, but only partially functioning 11 hospitals. It's a disgrace. We can see this because videos are emerging all the time from the region. Uh, The United States says Israel must put a premium on civilian life. I mentioned that this morning on the papers. That's a joke, isn't it? It's a joke to say you must put a premium on civilian life. Now, here's 14,000 tank shells. Yeah. Now, put a premium on civilian life now. What do they think they're going to fire those 14,000 tank shells at? Deer? Rabbits? I don't know. Salamanders? What do you think? They're going to fire them at populated areas and they're going to kill more Gazan. Men, women and children, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, the United Nations General Assembly will demand today an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in the conflict, the conflict, right, after the United States vetoed the same move in the Security Council. You see, nobody has a veto power in the General Assembly. It's a majority thing. You can't veto it. However, any motion passed by the General Assembly doesn't have any teeth 
It's not law, basically. The Israel can do whatever it wants, right? The United Nations General Assembly has passed hundreds of resolutions condemning Israeli illegal settlements, Israeli interring, imprisoning children in, in, in Gaza, taking them from Gaza and putting them in jails and torturing them in Israel. The UN has been passing resolutions against Israel for years and it doesn't matter. But this does matter. They're calling for a ceasefire, right? Well, according to the Times correspondent Richard Spencer, well, does it matter? It's too late for a ceasefire now, says Spencer. Yeah, I think a ceasefire is really uh, um, almost irrelevant now. I don't think that's what anyone is thinking or expecting. Um, what we're looking at is... Uh, Wait for it. He's not being a bastard, this guy. He's being pragmatic. Ceasefire is irrelevant now. Why is that, Richard? The incredible humanitarian consequences in Gaza, um, uh, which uh, are deteriorating every day. Um, obviously, 1.9 million people have been displaced by... That, that's nearly the entire population. And that is what he means. Ceasefires are relevant because they've displaced nearly the entire population. And they've killed 18,000 people, most of them women and children. So it doesn't matter because it's very little for them to bomb now. So let them continue the bombing, Richard Spencer. It's not really saying, but that's what I'm taking from it. By this war out of 2.3 million, um, many of those living in makeshift um, camps where disease is running rampant and there's not enough food. Uh, pretty grim, but even more grim is the um, images we're receiving or the, the descriptions we're receiving from people in Khan Yunis, which is the major city in the south. And uh, the Israelis... Uh, have launched a full frontal old-fashioned assault on that city. It's a, it's a Hamas stronghold historically, um, and they're also under pressure to end this war quickly from the Biden administration. Right. Imagine that. He can say that with a straight face. The Biden administration wants them to stop, to end it quickly. And here's 14,000 tank shells. I've got to keep repeating that. Uh, it over as quickly as possible. So they've sent in a whole um, airborne division with armour and tanks and uh, and, you know, the full caboodle. And there are you know, people are telling us of bodies in the streets, um, snipers on street corners, uh, tanks rolling down the uh, streets being taken on by Hamas fighters who are coming out of their tunnels. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty remarkable um, uh, battle that's going on there. Richard Spencer from The Times there. Let's leave that there. It's horribly depressing. Like we said yesterday, there isn't very much we can do about it. Talked about this Rwanda deal, right? We talked about how the more right-wing backbenchers in the Conservative Party have been a thorn in the side of Rishi Sunak. They were properly pissed off because they said the latest deal he signed with Rwanda really didn't have any teeth, really. It didn't have any teeth whatsoever. And it wouldn't prevent asylum seekers making a challenge with the European Court of Human Rights. And this pissed off the right-wing Tories because they said, you're telling us you'll be able to put people on planes, but in reality you won't because you will be vetoed by the European Court of Human Rights. Now, some of these politicians have been referring to themselves, apparently, or they have been referred to in the media as the five families. One of them is a guy called Marc Francois, right? We heard a bit of him, or we heard from him quite a bit during the Convid scam. Right? He appeared to be on the right side of that you know, anti-lockdown and, and whatnot. But this guy, Marc Francois, and the other rebels have been described as mafiosa. 
and this really interested LBC Radio's James O'Brien. The reason I'm playing this for you, knowing that it might increase your blood pressure somewhat, listening to this unmerciful arsehole, right? I get it. But I want you to listen to how, how, how news presenters and news producers in the 21st century exist only to do one thing and one thing only. And that is to keep everybody listening, um, to prop up the illusion and to prop up the illusion of choice and keep their listeners invested in this. So O'Brien is pissed off about the mafia backbenchers who want to bring down Rishi Sunak. Listen to how he describes this. The ecosystem that's been created by right-wing politicians, right-wing media and right-wing think tanks means that people like Marc Francois can look in the mirror and somehow persuade themselves that Al Pacino is looking back. That is the extraordinary thing about the distorted lens of our public and political discourse in this country. Somebody like Marc Francois can look in the mirror and see Michael Corleone looking back at him. You get it? And so, of course, they call themselves the Five Families. These people called themselves the Spartans. You know, the Spartans used to throw disabled babies off cliffs because they would not grow to be valid contributors to the, to, to the military uh, kingdom that Sparta represented, that Sparta was. And, and this lot- so, so he's inferring that the right-wing conservative backbenchers, because they once referred to themselves as Spartans, well, they must then approve of throwing babies off of cliffs. That's the, that's the uh, conclusion he's drawing there, right? Boasted that they saw themselves as Spartans. Spartans, Marc Francois, at the Battle of Thermopylae, anybody? At the Battle of what? <laughs> okay, okay, he goes on a little bit. Can you see it? In, in full, like, breast, breastplate. Well, he wouldn't even have breastplates. He'd be wearing a sort of leather jerkin and, and, and wielding a, an axe. Should keep her sexual fantasies off the air now, Jim. Can you see Marc Francois as a Spartan? Anyone? Yep, Marc Francois can. And now they see themselves as mafiosi. Mafiosi. Think mafiosi, because I want to talk about this in a moment. And it is, it is almost unbearably pathetic what has happened to British politics. There's a doctor's strike next week, junior doctor's strike next week. I don't know if you've tried to travel by train lately. I don't know if you have been on the Elizabeth line when it's sort of taken an unscheduled six-hour stop in the middle of a tunnel. No, but Rachel Riley was. And when I heard that, well, I did giggle my ass off. Uh, which happened earlier this week or late last week. We've got cost of living crisis continuing to push families to the to the brink of penury, a proliferation. The brink of penury proliferation, says James O'Brien, who gets paid six-figure salary to tell lies in Leicester Square for LBC. It's not affecting him at all. Of course, of uh, food banks continues and warm banks have presumably made a bit of a comeback now that the weather's turned. You've got... Uh, you've got water companies pumping unconscionable amounts of sewage into our waterways and apparently getting away with it. You've got a COVID inquiry underway where it's becoming increasingly clear not only that Johnson and Dr. Death, Rishi Sunak, presided over all manner of avoidable deaths, but also that they're just going to deny it. They're just going to play the shaggy defence. It wasn't me, the pair of them, if they haven't been in contact with each other. The what defence? <laughs> The shaggy defence, apparently. It wasn't me, James O'Brien. The mafiosa thing in- interested me, though. Um, it really interested me, this, this, this notion of mafiosa, that these politicians are the mafia. 
and that they've destroyed British politics. There's no sense of self-awareness at all with James O'Brien. You know, it's the media's job to ensure that the p- political, that the that politics in this country, ha- if the media had been doing its job, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in now. To put uh, to put it pretty simply and plainly, if the media for three four decades had been doing what it was meant to be doing, which is holding these bastards to account, there wouldn't be a situation like the one that people are having to come to terms with now. And that's the point I want to make. They exist only to prop up the illusion of choice and keep their listeners invested in it. The illusion that governments are autonomous and therefore you have a choice. You know, don't complain about it. You can replace them. Remember those advertisements on television about voting and about why it's very important to vote and how you don't have a right to complain about anything unless you exercise your franchise, your franchised right, unless you exercise that and go and vote, you have no right to complain. And that's what the media does and the mainstream alternative media that has made such ground during the COVID scandemic. Mafia. Francois sees himself and his fellow rebels as the mafia, said James O'Brien. Interesting analogy. I've attempted to describe the real power structure by framing it as the mafia in the past. I once used the film Casino, Martin Scorsese film, about a casino in Las Vegas which was controlled by the mob. And I used that to illustrate how it works. But it was a bit ham-fisted at the time. Somebody made a video of it and uh, I think it might still be available on on YouTube, it might be. But if you imagine The Sopranos, imagine The Godfather. Now, The Sopranos is a latter-day television programme which won multiple Emmys and and thousands of awards around the world about a New Jersey crime family. So imagine the Godfather, imagine the Sopranos. So you have crime families and they have a structure. They have a they have a hierarchy. So you have the boss then. The boss is numero uno, right? The boss is number one. The boss makes the decisions. Usually acting alone, autonomously. He does have a consigliere or an advisor, somebody very senior, usually a very, very close friend, usually somebody of a similar age. So you have a boss with a consigliere, and then you have an underboss, okay, like a deputy boss, then you have captains or capo regimes, then you have soldiers, and if you imagine the power structure of of our world in those terms, where would politicians, where would prime ministers or presidents fit in to that power structure? You have bosses, consigliaries, underbosses, you have captains, then you have soldiers. And then you have underneath the soldiers, you have drug dealers and petty criminals and you have pimps. I forgot them, you got to mention them. Right, captains, soldiers, and then under the soldiers, the bottom of the pile is you have drug dealers and petty criminals pimps, right? So in this structure, where are the Prime Ministers slash Presidents? Where's Rishi Sunak? Where's Joe Biden? Or maybe next year, where's Donald Trump? Right, well, they're not the bosses. They're not the consigliere. They're not the underbosses. I don't think Prime Ministers are even captains. I wouldn't imagine that Prime Ministers are even soldiers. I would say that Prime Ministers in the Soprano Godfather um, reality are dealers and pimps. And they're run by soldiers. Soldiers that come in different forms, like intelligence agents, handlers, groomers like Jeffrey Epstein, and people who run organisations like Bilderberg. They run the pimps. 
the pimps or the PMs and the senior politicians and the presidents. So who are the captains then in this um, analogy? I don't know. People might say Soros and Schwab and Bill Gates and maybe Tony Blair and others. I don't know. The underbosses. Maybe the underbosses are the central bankers, maybe. Maybe the central bankers are the underbosses. And then you're left, all you're left with then is the bosses. And ultimately, this is the question we've been asking for years on programmes like this. Who or what is the boss? What is ultimately responsible for everything that's happening? Who or what is responsible for it? I don't know is the answer. I've spent years trying to figure it out. But yeah, I'd put the prime ministers and presidents, I'd put them in that structure as pimps and drug dealers and nothing else. The very bottom of the pile of the, of the mafia family structure, the unit. What do you think? Drop a line to me, richieallen.co.uk. You can also reach me via the app. Download the app for the programme. You'll get it on Google Play. You'll get it on the App Store. Uh, thank you for your comments, by the way. I'm going to read a few of them now. I haven't even opened them. Been that busy today. It's been a busy day. Asher, it's been a busy day. Every day is busy. Busy, but I'm double busy. Uh, hi to Rob. Hello, Rob. Who said that if he entered the country illegally and had a roof over his head and he was fed, he'd be thankful. These immigrants are not fleeing war-torn countries. And if they were, he says, they should find refuge in the first country they arrive in or the last one then he says, France, it's the benefit system they're after, he says. They think they're going to get a nice house and loads of money. This really pisses off Rob, that we, the taxpayers, he says, are paying for the barge. Yes, that's Rob's opinion. I'm not saying I endorse it. I would imagine that there are some on the barge who maybe do have a genuine reason. You know, a reason that we would accept as a, an appropriate reason to want to leave a country but maybe there are lots of young men with no documents on there too. Maybe. Absolutely. I understand why, you know, this one this one certainly inflames tensions, doesn't it? And it's meant to do that, of course. Kay says, about the barge, yes, it sounds awful, but where were the do-gooders when our elderly were locked in their care homes without visitors, not getting out, no bus, no money, no nothing? They were confused alone and maybe suicidal. Nobody gave a damn, says Kay. Well, I did, Kay, and you did. You know, I, my conscience is clear. I can talk about atrocious conditions on a barge, and they sound atrocious. I mean, I've not seen it, but it sounds pretty atrocious. I can say that because I, you know, I, I'm consistent at least, if nothing else. Lewis says the Bibby Stockholm was used in the Shetlands for two years by oil workers. No problem, says Lewis. It's better than a tent in Calais. Harsh. Harsh today, our listeners. John says, good evening, Rich. Good evening, John. Very good. And Johnny says, Richie, to be fair, none of us really know maybe most historical events we have been taught or told or may not have happened like we were told they did. And then he says, maybe even the Holocaust. If you even question it, you get called a Holocaust denier, says uh, Johnny. Well, tell me something. I, I don't know, Johnny. Yes, I, I know that people who say the Holocaust didn't happen are labelled Holocaust deniers. Of course they are. Absolutely. Um, I don't, you see, tend to get my opinions or to formulate my opinions from history books, from teachers, from academic institutions. I formed my opinions by travelling in Germany and in Austria and by meeting people. That's how I formed my opinions. It was amazing to me last night when I argued with Kevin Barrett. We had a great back and forth. 
Kevin doesn't accept the, uh, I would say, the large body of historical thought or historical opinion on Nazi Germany. I disagree with him. It's hilarious how so many Holocaust deniers came out of the woodwork. And Johnny, I don't mean you, by the way. But so many of them came out, you know, made me laugh. None of them, of course, using their real name and using a photograph of themselves, meaning they're not really that convinced of their argument. Because, anyway, I'm going to leave that there. We did that last night. We're not doing it tonight. So thank you. But uh, no thank you. This is Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. Jana London will be with me right soon. We are going to be talking about the very strange and disturbing case of the teacher Enoch Burke, right? And to take us there, here's Bruce, the boss of Brinkstein. That'll piss one or two off now. But I couldn't care less. You're with the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live from BBG Towers with the BBG, me, Richie Allen. Back in three. Yeah, Bruce Springsteen, his version of The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine Anymore. Walker Brothers, 27 and one half minutes. Past the hour of four o'clock here in Salford. It is good to be with you. So it is, let's talk about Enoch Burke. Now, it was announced this afternoon that Enoch Burke, a teacher in Ireland, an Irish teacher, he refused to refer to a transitioning transgender student as they rather than he in May of last year, right? And um, was basically told to stay away from his school. He refused to do that. That's Wilson's uh, hospital school. But he refused and kept going back there. He was eventually jailed. He was jailed for a second time in September last, which is not that long ago, but it was announced today after a review of his detention was held at Ireland's High Court that he would remain in prison over Christmas. Somebody who's been following this story and has been on this programme before is Jana London. Jana, of course, is one of the founders of the Natural Women's Council in Ireland. She is uh, an an activist and an advocate for the rights of women and children in Ireland. Jana, welcome back to the programme. How are you? Are you well? I'm great, Richie. How are you? I'm not bad at all. This is one strange story, and I've been following this since last year. Um, disturbing as well, really, that e- even I believe the lawyers acting on behalf of the school said that they were very regretful about the fact that he wouldn't undertake a or give a guarantee that he wouldn't attempt to enter the school again. And because of that, he would remain in school over, excuse me, he would remain in prison even over the Christmas. Do you want to give for listeners who are not following this, the background to it? What's, what, who is this Enoch Borkin? Why does he not just accept that he's got a difference of opinion with the school? Why doesn't he just go and get a job somewhere else? What's going on? Yeah, what's going on? So Enoch Burke is a teacher at Wilson's Hospital School. It's a private school and the school is of a Christian faith. It's um, a, a Protestant school, unlike you know, many in Ireland are Catholic. And it started about, gosh, he was in prison the first time for over 100 days. He's been in prison now over 100, so over 200 days. It really started because there was a child in a school, and I'm gonna say allegedly, and then talk about why I'm using the word allegedly. There was a child in the school allegedly who wanted to change their pronouns to they, them and apparently an email went out from the principal at the time i believe the principal was neve mcshane who i've been told is an activist but i'm not sure she quickly left wilson's and moved to another school 
and an email went around that this child was going to be uh, changing their gender or their pronouns. Now, Enoch is a man of Christian faith. He also uh, believes in safeguarding children and said, I'm not going to do that. Just like many teachers in my network and parents would say, I'm not going to do that. It's against my faith. It's against my belief in safeguarding children. So no. Um, so he um, was suspended from the school and then he was given a court order to stay away from the school. He showed up to teach at the school as his job was contracted to do. And he showed up, I think for a while, he was showing up every day at the school. And then he had a court order to stay away from the school and he, he didn't, he broke the court order. Um, and many people are saying, well, he could leave, he could walk away any time, but at what sacrifice, you know, he could accept the suspension, give in to their nonsensical court order, purge his contempt and just go on and live his life. But he held his ground and said, I'm a teacher at the school. I love my job. I love the students. I want to teach. And he showed up to teach and he broke the court order. But that's really just a fig leaf. The the crux of the story is that he refused to misgender this this child in question. But there's a lot more than meets the eye. I woke up with them um, yesterday morning. I woke up and just said after we did our vigil for Enoch Friday, we had an amazing turnout. Uh, we said prayers. We sang Christmas carols. We read scripture. We uh, talked about Enoch and and stood in, stood in solidarity with him outside Mountjoy Prison last Friday. And yesterday, I had this very strong intuition that he's being targeted. And I did a little bit of digging, and it begs the question: Is is Enoch being set up? Is he being targeted by the administration of the school? And I have some strong suspicions based on a bit of research. That I that I did yesterday morning, something is just not sitting right here. You you think because I've been following well, I do follow you on Twitter, um, like like I do my my guests. I always follow them and keep in touch with what they're doing and what they're saying. You actually think that there might be some evidence that this is all a stitch up from the very get go, and that the pupil might have been sent in, this might have all been staged to kind of entrap Enoch Bork into making the decision not to use the pronoun they so that he could be accused of misgendering and then given the the boot. Is that right? Yeah, the things that don't make sense to me is, I suppose if I was, if I was the establishment and I wanted to push an agenda and I wanted to make an example out of someone and show all the other teachers in Ireland that if you don't play into this pronoun and gender ideology, you're going to be Enoch'd. Enoch would be a perfect target because one, he's Christian, so they can attack the Christianity. Two, he was homeschooled and shortly after he went to jail, sure enough, mainstream media jumped on and started saying, oh, basically, is this is this what homeschooling results in someone like this? Well, if that's the case, I should be homeschooling my two children. And so he's Christian. He was homeschooled and they knew that he was someone who probably would stand up against this and not let go, which he absolutely has. So. If you were to target someone, he would be the per the person, the teacher to target. But secondly, there's some facts in this story that just are not adding up. The first one is it was published on March 17th in uh, Irish Independent that an email sent by the school to the principal in January by a parent of this transgender student revealed that the child had never made the request and that it was the parents view that the whole situation could be avoided. So they're saying their child never requested to become a they them. 
that's one thing that really is a red flag. And the second thing is the parents uh, had stated that they never, they only learned that the child in question was their child after reading a court judgment, which outlined what year the unidentified student was in. So the fact that the parents didn't know the school deceived them and didn't even tell them their child was was transitioning to a new gender. That's a red flag. I would question Wilson's hospital school on that. And second of all, they're saying our child actually never wanted to be be gendered this way. So did the school completely make all of this up and then know that Enoch would stand up against this ideology? And now he's uh, sitting there languishing in prison because of this. So it just doesn't smell right. And then the other thing. No, John, hang on, hang, as, hang on, hang on. Stay, stay with that bit of evidence for a minute that you've uncovered. If it's true what, what you've con what you've said there, that um, the parents have said that the kid didn't want it, w wouldn't that have been uncovered by Enoch Powell? You see, I knew I'd say it eventually. I said to myself a thousand times today, it's Enoch Burke, not Enoch Powell. Um, Enoch Burke's um, legal team, why would they not have you know, brought that to the attention of the court, even yesterday, even today? That's a, that's a really good question. And I know the courts um, have not been really, they wouldn't allow Enoch even in the court on one occasion. He was apparently had to zoom in. He's been denied from what his mother and his sister, I believe, is a solicitor. Um, he's been denied many of his constitutional rights. So it's a great question is, this should really be at the forefront and I didn't uncover it. It was actually published in the media and all these pieces. So I'm just putting them all together. Yeah. But someone needs to ask, did this child actually ask to be mis to be gendered as they? And then the second thing is, why weren't these parents told that their child was a asking to be a new gender, but b at the height of a court case? They didn't even know it was their own child. I mean, that is shocking to think that a school would be so deceitful to a parent, particularly a school of a Christian faith. It's on their website, the, the Christian ethos, the mission statement. How dare they deceive parents? But that coincides with the direction that belonged to um, in a document was giving teachers to ask them to lie to parents. So this is another clear example is did the teachers lie to the parents or, or not involve them? Or did the child never request this at all? And it's a complete setup and fabrication. This is incredibly interesting and I, I didn't know that the parents of the child were unaware that the child in question was theirs. Um, until when? Until after Enoch was arrested and, and sent for trial, was it? Yes, they, they said they didn't know. I'm just reading the article here. They only learned the child in question is my child after reading a court judgment which outlined the year that the child unidentified student was in. So when they learned that it was that particular year, they thought, oh, that's someone in my child's class. And then unbeknownst to them, it was was actually their own child. It's we're, we're unsurprisingly receiving a lot of correspondence on this, people sending messages through the app and and through the website. I've mentioned to a friend of mine, I'm listening to you now with 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 both ears, uh, Jana, but I'm responding to people while listening to you. Where the hell is Amnesty International? I mean, I mean, look, I, I, look, regardless of how I feel about it, I mean, I, I, I feel that e e Enoch Borg or, or a teacher, if they don't want to refer to a child as they, I get that. I totally understand that, right? Um, so, so, so let's put that to one side for a minute. Um, but him repeatedly re returning to the school, I mean, the school does ultimately have the right 
in terms of who it employs. I know there are processes. There are tribunals set up and there are tribunals available for people who feel they were wrongfully suspended or dismissed. But ultimately, him going back there, I understand that's an issue. But even still, for him to be in prison for so long, I can't understand that. And I also can't understand why he wouldn't have been... In this country, they would have said sectioned. He would have been referred for a mental health evaluation. Was he sent for a mental health evaluation? Refresh my memory, because I can't remember. Not, uh, not that I'm aware of. I don't. I, he may or may not have been, but not that I'm aware of. And I believe that probably the the school and the courts know that he's very able-minded. Yeah. He's very capable. He was an exceptional teacher. That's been out in the news. The students loved him. There was even a there was even a video I saw on maybe it was TikTok of students high fiving and actually, you know, supporting Enoch. So I believe that, you know, many parents and, and students in the school absolutely would support Enoch. Uh, there is a, a new mother on the scene, brand new mother to Wilson's, uh, which is another suspicious uh, person thrown into the Wilson school scandal, uh, which I can talk about there, who's been seen with uh, Minister McEntee, Minister Harris and TD Mary Butler. Uh, and 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 coincidentally or not, TD Mary Butler just celebrated her 16-year-old child going from Jenna, a girl, to Jay, a boy, in 2021. And there's a um, a picture of this mother, uh, New Wilson's mother, who was calling for Enoch to be hauled away and locked up. Uh, there's pictures of her with all of these ministers who uh, who are pushing the transgender ideology. This is so amazing something- to me, Jana. This is amazing to me. It's a Christian school. Now, I don't know much about how schools are governed, private schools particularly. I don't know much. How, I don't know how it works, but I would imagine it being a private school, it would have a board of some description. It would have maybe a chairman or a chairwoman and it would have a board. How could a Christian school not support a Christian teacher not going along with this when, when, when this pretty much goes against Christian doctrine? I don't get that. Where, where are the people running the school? I would ask that as well. And we're launching the Natural Women's Council and Irish Education Alliance, Parents' Rights Alliance and Lawyers for Justice just launched a campaign today to contact the two bishops because the these two bishops were spoken about by Enoch's mother and brother yesterday outside uh, uh, Wilson School as these bishops apparently made their way in for a, a, a caroling night where Enoch should have absolutely as a teacher been there. And these two bishops are Archbishop John McDowell and also uh, Pat Story, who is patron of Wilson School. So we are going to be putting out flyers. I, I can put it on my Twitter account as well to say everyone should contact these two bishops and ask them why are they not abiding by Wilson's Hospital School's mission statement in allowing transgenderism to seep into their school and allowing one of their teachers to be in jail for over 200 days for standing by the Christian belief, for standing by the ethos and mission statement of the school. Where is Archbishop John McDowell and Pat Story, patron of the Wilson School? Absolutely two of the biggest hypocrites I can see in this whole diabolical mess. Where are the bishops? Yeah, and I wasn't suggesting, because I've, I've had a few caustic emails from people saying that I was somehow suggesting Enoch was mad. I wasn't. Jan understood the point I was making. There should be a process. Uh, you know, before a person ends up in jail, I wasn't suggesting that he was in any way under a mental health, having a mental health episode. I was saying that usually there's a process, you know, that they would imagine that he was, 
you know, maybe a bit under the weather and they would have him sent for assessment. But they didn't, and that's the point I'm making, that maybe there is something more sinister going on here. And do I understand it to be true that he wasn't exactly rushing through the gates and trying to get to a classroom to teach, that if, that, that essentially when he was um, showing up at the school that he was confining himself to the front gate. Is that right? As far as I know, yes. And there were people also down there supporting um, Enoch during this this time. And I believe he, he was outside the gate. He wasn't being aggressive or dangerous or vandalizing or any such thing. He was just showing up to do the job that he was contracted to do. And the contract never should have ended. Uh, the Archbishop John McDowell and Pat's story patron should have stepped in and said, you know, the school's um, the school's be belief is, it says right on their website, faithful to the last will and testament of Andrew Wilson made in 1724. Uh, Wilson's Hospital School maintains a distinctive Church of Ireland ethos, fostering Christian practice and teaching. So that archbishop and, and the patron of the school have a lot to answer for that a teacher of theirs is sitting in prison for upholding the school's mission statement and ethos. What do you and say, Jana? What do you say to people listening to you who say, look, Jana, you sound brilliant. You always sound great. You sound like you're a really decent person. But you're, you're a mile off the pace here, people might say. The fact is, whether we like it or not, and whatever the reasons might be, lots and lots of children now are claiming they were born in the wrong body and that they are, um, you know, identifying um as the the, the opposite, opposite sex to that they were born right and that we have to accept it and if it just means even if we think it's all a bit mad and even if we think it's gender dysphoria it's not going to kill us if we say all right i'll call you they now i know you've got real suspicion about whether or not this even happened and whether the child okay. even wanted to be called they but in the event that children do want to be called they what about anything for an easy life? Yeah, all right then, sure. Listen, if, as long as you do your work and you respect me as a teacher and you put an effort in, I'll call you whatever you want. What do we say to that? Absolutely. That's a big no. That is extremely dangerous to confirm a child is born in the wrong body because it may seem innocent on the surface by Asher. We'll just call them she, her, he, him, they, whatever. Microwave. There's a microwave and a fairy, I think, in a school down the road. You're kidding me. Uh, there were Furbies, Furbies back in my hometown, and they finally put a stop to it when these Furbies, girls identifying in cats, started clawing other students and, uh, and, uh, defecating on the floor of the school but that's another story is so it, did that actually happen no, sorry because sorry, sorry, i i, I trust you to tell the truth yeah. to me is there proof that a child behaving like an animal you know did what an animal would do given the chance and relieved himself or herself on the floor has that actually happened my 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 very good one of my best friends of 25 years this was told to me by her son it was in a school and he would have no reason to lie they actually said no we're not allowing this and we're not putting litter boxes in the school you're going to Jesus. use the toilet like every other boy and girl in the school and that's it and um, but the answer back to the pronoun the dangers of pronouns yes it would be an easy way out to say asher ah, sure, just call him a he and him she her whatever however tr socially transitioning and using pronouns is the first step before a child goes through a transition of irreversible dangerous puberty blockers. Uh, 
cross-sex hormones and and the surgery to remove their genitalia or healthy breasts. So the pronoun is really the tip, just the starting point. And we should never, ever affirm to a child they are born in the wrong body. Um, there are children, there was, I think it used to be one in a million um, that, you, that would suffer from gender confusion, but over 80% of those children grow out of it. Once they hit puberty, maybe they realize they're simply uh, gay, that's okay, lesbian, that's okay. But to chop off their body parts or give them irreversible drugs and reaffirm you are in the wrong body, that is not okay, that is dangerous. And the other thing is it's becoming a social contagion, of course it is, because most of the children who fall down this gender confusion path suffer from other conditions, be it psychiatric or their home life. And they, um, once those other conditions are treated, they outgrow the gender confusion. Um, I was on a recent podcast with a lovely man, uh, Crypto Rich, and he is a, a child uh, social worker. And he had a really good point and so, said a lot of children he deals with who think they're, you know, they're gender confused, but it's because they were sexually abused as a child. So that young girl who may think she is in the wrong body and wants to remove all her for female parts, it's because she was sexually abused as a child and feels dirty and shamed of, of that. But once she gets treatment for that abuse, she actually grows into her womanhood and realizes, actually, I was always meant to be a woman. So there's lots of reasons a child can be socially, be confused with their gender, but by pushing it on every child in school and and confirming you they're in the wrong body is what's making this a complete and utter social contagion and it's going to be irreversible and i i dread to think there's over over 4500 children in ireland on the mental health waiting list at the moment waiting up to two years for treatment i dread to think in five years time what the mental health waiting list for children will be if we tell a boy he could be he can become a girl and a girl she can become a boy absolutely uh, unprecedented territory and one that we should not be walking down. Yeah, the puberty blocking drugs. I mean, nobody knows. I mean, doctors have said that no good will will ultimately come of it. You know, health, health, health wise, it's a it can be a devastating thing to do to 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 halt puberty. That's amazing, and to to think yeah. that it's still happening. You know, that, that children are still being put on on these drugs is scary, isn't it? And it doesn't pause puberty. People think that it's just a puberty blocker to no, like a remote control. It. You just hit the pause button. But these have irreversible effects. I was at a conference in April last year. Uh, actually, April this year. Seems I think it was April this year. Um, it's been a long year. Uh, where I met about five or six young people who had gone down the path to try to change their, their sex. Uh, they had puberty blockers taken, hormones, and surgeries. And fast forward a few years later, and they realized it was the biggest mistake of their life. Um, some of the, the young girls have male voices that are as deep as yours, Richie, and these are young girls. Their voice will never change back. They've removed their breasts. Some have removed their wombs. Um, some, were, some people end up with osteoporosis and hunched over because the puberty blockers can permanently damage bones. It can stop genitalia from growing. So if a boy decides he wants to take those blockers for a little while, he's going to be 20 years old with a micro penis. That, that's not good for anybody. No, and, um, yeah, go ahead, finish that thought. It's, it's irreversible. And the last thing is it, it, we're denying these children of love. So these five or six people that I, that I met at the conference, you know, a good point was made that their dating pool reduces by over 95%. So they will be denied of love. They most likely will never have children or be married. So 
by pushing kids down this path, it damages them for the rest of their lives. They will not be able to procreate, get married, have children and have a normal life just because they're in a temporary state of confusion now. It's going to have permanent effects if we push these kids down the path. So fair play to Enoch Burke for standing up and saying absolutely not. And I hope that every teacher in Ireland says no uh, to this and England and around the world. Just say no. What do you what do you reckon to noises coming out of the UK government, which is going to push its guidance for schools on this issue, this trans guidance they're calling it, by Christmas, but it's going to kind of push back against it and inform schools that parents must be involved and must be informed the instant that a child alerts a teacher or somebody else in the school that they wish to be, you know, referred to by certain pronouns or or called by a female name if the child is male. It, it looks like the UK government wants to get tough with, with schools. What, what do you reckon? Do you trust the UK government to do that? Do you think it doesn't matter because the UK government won't be the UK government for very long? It looks like it'll be out sometime in the next four to six months. Um, or do you take the positives from it? Well, I don't trust any government fully because what's happening around the globe is all coming really from the from the very top, from the from the globalist agenda 2030 and United Nations, where every government is on the puppet strings really uh, of of this United Nations one world government uh, mission. But I do think that the school should absolutely be mandated to involve a parent anytime a child is suffering a physical ailment, psychiatric ailment be it an eating disorder, being it gender confusion, self-harming, whatever that child is suffering, I as the mother should be the very first person that that school contacts. I shouldn't be hearing about it from the news or the courts. I agree with you. Can I ask you, just can we go back to Enoch Burke for a moment? Um, what, can, can, can you give me, it'll be difficult for you, and I'm, I'm not in any way insulting you by saying this, but because you've got a very, de- you know, a very definite opinion here, as, as do I. I mean, my thoughts on this are fairly aligned with yours. What, what do you think in Irish society, does anybody give a damn that this guy is in prison for what I can see was basically protesting outside of his former place of work? You know, basically, almost like somebody taking industrial action. He was out there saying, look, I want to be back in there working. Um, and he's in prison. I mean, I, you'd expect in a tolerant, fair, decent society that people would be apoplectic about this and that they would be plaguing the government to do something to get Enoch Bork out of jail in time for Christmas. What do you think Irish opinion is on this? If you can even begin to try and analyze it. Yeah, it's, yeah, okay, to summarize it. So in Ireland, we are absolutely in a state of chaos. I believe Ireland is a testing ground where the experiment for the uh, Agenda 2030 and the WHO, One World Health, etc. Everything is really being tested in Ireland. That's a fact. I have, I can, I can talk another day on that. And I believe that the that Ireland is in such a state of chaos. I mean, look at the riots. Look at what happened there. They're trying to push through the hate speech bill. Uh, they had the riots and they blamed everything on the far right, not even talking about those those innocent people, including school children who were stabbed. Um, they're trying to put through all the, all the laws to silence us, the WHO treaty. They're trying to erase woman and mother from the Constitution. Ireland is like in a tornado state at the moment. So I think people are very tired. I think people are angry. I think people are confused. 
But there is a, a very growing, very growing group of people who are rising up and waking up to the deep corruption in our government. And they do stand by Enoch. They do stand against transgender ideology on children. They do stand against these grubby sex manuals in children's libraries being pushed on children to fetishize them. There are still a lot of good Irish people and um, that are standing up for morality and righteousness and children. But the majority of the population, I believe, is tired, confused, angry. Maybe they don't know. They don't know where this is coming from. People look around and say, gosh, you know, even with the mass immigration, why are there 120,000 immigrants here? We, you know, we were told two years ago they were going to be Ukrainian women and children, but these aren't Ukrainians. These aren't children. These are single, unvetted, fighting age men. Where did this all come from? And every little aspect in our society, people are so confused looking around. How did this happen? I didn't vote for this, but nobody knows where it's coming from. And until people realize it's all coming from the same people, our Irish government are really reporting now into the United Nations, into uh, the, the globalists, the World Economic Forum. Uh, Ireland co-chaired a meeting in New York where we were over there Leo Varadkar boasting about how wonderful Ireland is doing, pushing the sustainable development goals. And this is where it's all driven from. So I don't think the majority yet know where it's coming from, but we are trying to, uh, groups I work with, get that word out. So I think more people stand with Enoch, but people are also afraid to speak. Uh, people who do speak up, um, I, I shared that article with you. Um, I was a subject recently in the, in the, in the doll. Uh, the government inviting a, a party to come in and slander me in front of 20 public representatives, including TDs. So uh, John, is there anything like you can do about is Is the Irish Parliament, the Dáil, is it um, exempt from defamation laws and libel laws? Like, for example, you, you probably know this, maybe our listeners will not, but in the House of Parliament, in the House of Commons here, a MP can get up and he or she can say anything about any private citizen in the UK it doesn't matter how untrue it is. It's called parliamentary privilege. Uh, they're exempt yeah. from that. Is, that a, is there a similar situation in Dublin? Because how can they talk about you like that and not invite you to give them a right of reply or a comment? How does it work back home? Yeah, they have privilege in that also they're protected from, I suppose, uh, somewhat protected from slandering the public, uh, but certainly we're not protected from slandering them. However, this particular party, they... Um, they went into the doll about a month ago and it was they used to be called the far right observatory but they've changed their name to the hope and courage collective because it sounds much softer i also think they wanted to disassociate from the word ob uh, observatory because many countries have groups that are called observatory which are big brother surveillance mi5 type things and they certainly even though that's who they are they didn't want to be aligned with that name so they went in this group and uh they even linked me they said i'm a I'm a middle class, highly respectable woman, but I'm the connective tissue to the violent far right burning down immigration centers. So me as a mother standing up for my children, trying to keep the library safe, the schools safe, keep this ideology away from, from children as a wholesome, moral Christian woman, I'm being accused of burning down immigration centers by a group that the government is using our public funds to spy on good people and report report on us to the government. Like I'm on a government yeah. hit list for what I do. I can mean, I, that's can, just insane. Can I ask insane. you this? Um, my one of my specialties is libel law. I know libel law inside out. For this country, the the UK and Ireland, I used to have to know it. For media organisations, I I worked for. 
and I update myself regularly on the law. So I'm, I hate to say this because I'm going to sound like I'm bigging myself up because I'm not an expert in anything, but I am an expert in media law and libel law. Um, would you, what, what I would do if I were you is I would challenge that group to repeat those claims, but repeat them outside, outside the door. That's what I would say. If you want to say yeah, something we, like I, that about me, say it outside the door and then you can speak with my solicitor. Because that is libelous. I mean, I know what libel is. That is a libelous statement. It's with my solicitor at the moment. It is an in and out defamation case. And um, I, shot, yeah. I'm, I'm handling it at the moment. But they went on to basically affirm as well that they couldn't really call me far right because I'm too respectable, too middle class. I'm extraordinarily respectable. I work with TDs and senators. Uh, they said, so we're going to call her a person who's a Christian fundamentalist. So they've now called me a, an arsonist, burning down buildings and a Christian fundamentalist and uh, and all of this nonsense. But repeatedly, the government officials that we pay, so we for example, Belong To was invading schools and, and uh, that, that was a whole campaign that we did to try to get Belong To from going into schools for a week to indoctrinate children and, and uh, give surveys to children and all of that. And um, they put my picture on the screen in the doll and said, you know, th this one here launched a Belong To campaign. They had my video up there of me launching the campaign. And they went on to say that, oh, Belong To now is very worried. They're not going to be allowed in schools anymore uh, and not going to be allowed to, to push the LGBT on the kids. Well, fantastic that, that they shouldn't be allowed to do that. But they are um, trying to make me out like I'm a, dan a dangerous person for pushing out Belong To out of schools. But they've had a lot of calls from principals and teachers saying, we don't want Belong To in schools. So I guess at the end of the day, I have to look at the glass half full and say, well, if they're terrified that uh, the campaigns we're running are making a difference, if Belong To thinks they're not going to be allowed to go in schools and push transgender ideology, uh, if it means them abusing me, threatening me, and slandering me, if it keeps those schools safe, well, my skin is pretty thick, so I'm not gonna, I'm not going to be silenced. Absolutely, and uh, don't make it. I mean, you won't make it about you, but don't allow them make it about you because it isn't. It's oh. about the issue, and that's what they, that's what they like to do. They like to create their boogeymen and boogie women, and. Uh, yes, yeah. exactly. And the one other thing on the Wilson School that just came in fresh off the press from uh, the Catholic, the president of the Catholic Secondary School Parent Association, before I forget, I'll, I'll just let you know, this was uncovered as well about Wilson School, which is very suspicious. This person quoted, um, one of the most curious aspects of Wilson's hospital is that two of its parents were among no more than 10 parents overall. So in the whole country, only 10 parents are on this group. Two of them are from Wilson's Hospital that took over the National Parents Council post-primary. They excluded uh, the RC and the ETB, which are other parent associations, excluded other parents. They crashed the national organization. So this National Parents Council post-primary crashed the national organization and two out of the country's 10 parents are sitting there in Wilson's school. So that's just another piece of scandal with Wilson's that makes me think you know, between them lying to the parents, the children, the child didn't even want to be transgendered. Uh, these teachers crashed the council. And then this mysterious, um, mysterious woman uh, tried to take Enoch Burke down, Aneta Safiak, and anybody can Google her. She shows up everywhere calling people like me far right, bigot, racist. She was in, in 2020 saying um, she had so much hate crime against her, so much hate crime in 2020. Well, that's very strange. That was before the government put the word hate crime into the zeitgeist. So who is this woman? Is she connected to the government? There's questions to be asked about her. 
she was one of the ones trying to get Enoch locked up. And she just enrolled her son into that school Very during this whole it? mess. So, John, so many questions. So many. We've got, we've got 30 seconds to go. Um, you can find Jana on Twitter at JK London, L-U-N-D-E-N, JK London. Very briefly, if the government gets its way, when will the legislation in Ireland become law, the hate speech law? When is it proposed to be, you know, live effectively? Yeah, Minister Minister McEntee is trying was trying to push it through for Christmas. That would have been her her Christmas present. But I I, I believe it may be delayed yet again. They're getting an awful lot of pushback, a lot of worldwide attention from big big hitters as well, like Elon Musk, who's uh, taking a, a case as well, and has also tweeted about Helen McEntee. She needs to step down. She's an embarrassment to the country. She's an embarrassment to herself, but she wants to push it through before Christmas. I've heard whispers it might be delayed, so let's just let's just pray that it is. Jana, thanks for coming on today. Really great to speak to you as always, and we'll speak again, no doubt, in the near future. Thank you very much. Jana London, live on The Richie Allen Show for Tuesday the 12th, of December 2023. Uh, Janet is one of the founders of the Natural Women's Council of Ireland. Nice to chat with her again today. Serious stuff that. Right, we um, are going to take a very quick break. When we come back, I want to share something with you. Then we'll be speaking with Christian Morris for the first time. He's got a really interesting Odyssey channel. He's an Irish social commentator and he's doing very good work, great interviews and um, discussing many of the issues discussed on this very radio programme. Three minutes past the hour of five o'clock. Winter's on its way and so are colds, flu and other respiratory illness. <laughs> a robust immune system and vitamin D3 are your weapons in the fight to keep healthy when things get chilly. Immunex 365 vitamin capsules from NutraHealth 365 combine effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2 as well as zinc and quercetin to give your body that winter boost at just two capsules a day. Plus for your peace of mind, all NutraHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Visit NutraHealth365.com now and get winter ready. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support The Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Right, um, as you will know by now, um, Kerry Ike, the daughter of David Ike and David's former wife Linda, um, passed away yesterday. Uh, unexpectedly, she was 48. And I, I was informed of this while on the programme yesterday and I read out a, a couple of comments uh, about it. Gareth, um, Kerry's brother and Jamie had been tweeting about it, absolutely devastated, no doubt. But a lot of comments came in from people. I reckon several hundred messages came in from people who follow the work of David Icke. And some of them had heard of Kerry, and uh, some hadn't. Kerry wasn't very public, really. You know, she was private. And um, yeah, so what I did was, um, after I finished the programme yesterday, I emailed David just to let him know that um, Caroline and myself were very very, very upset for him and the family and for Kerry because we knew Kerry and what happened to her. And within a few minutes, God love him. Um, oh, Jesus. Wow. Within a few minutes, he got back to us. And he said he was very touched and he was very moved to hear that. And he was um, taking comfort in it, but that he and the family were kind of understandably devastated. But it was a really nice message. And um, 
Yeah, so there you are. So he he was incredibly grateful to hear that you gave you know gave a damn about him in in a terrible time for for him and his family yesterday. I thought I could get through that without getting a bit upset, but I couldn't. Anyway, I'm going to take a tune now. When we come back, Christian Morris will be on the programme. It is Tuesday's Richie Allen show. And um, I've not even got a tune lined up, I'll tell you. I'm absolutely brutal. I had some Paul McCartney lined up and it's gone. So for some reason, let me dig a tune out. And we will get Christian Morris on the programme. Keep your comments coming in to richieallen.co.uk, comment live, or to... um, the app. Do download the app if um, you haven't downloaded it before. Okay, I've got a song now. Back in a moment. Right, that's Roy Orbison and you got it. I'm going to cut it short because I want to spend as much of the air with my next guest as we possibly can. I live a very sheltered life here in BBG Towers in Salford. I'm not bragging when I say there's no producer, editor, there's no guest booker. There isn't, so I kind of tend to do things by myself. And because of that, I don't spend a lot of time looking at things. Apart from, sadly, because I'm a sad arse, the legacy media. But a very good friend of mine recommended I get in touch with my guest, who's just about to come on with me. And I reached out to him and he very graciously accepted. And since he accepted, I've been looking at his content and it's excellent. And even more strange, uh, for me that is, is when I announced he was coming on, I've had a number of messages from you saying, oh great, you've got Christian Morris on. I'm generally the last person to know about anything, so there you go. Listen, Christian is an Irish social commentator. He has a terrifically interesting Odyssey channel. If you go to odyssey.com and look for Christian Morris TV, you'll find it. It's packed with very interesting interviews and, as I said, commentary on the, well, on the issues that we discuss Monday to Thursday on this programme. Let's welcome to our show, Christian Morris. Hi, Christian. How are you? And welcome. Hello. Can you hear me? Oh, you sound great. You sound thank great. Thank you. I always sound lovely. You thank sound you. gorgeous. And you, you know, sound very well as well. And thank you so much for having me on the show. I love your show. I've been listening to your show for a long time. And I think it's exactly what you said, well, what took us so long to make it happen. But here we are now. And, you know, what we're seeing is the growth of a new media, including people like yourself. who've been You've been at it for a long time. And, you know, it's all coming together. It's all gelling together at the end of what's been such an exciting year. Uh, you know, you're originally from Ireland, aren't you? Waterford, Port Lardiga, Christian, yeah. Yes. And you're now living in London. This is great. You're going to interview me for the next hour. Fantastic. No, I'm not. I'm living in, I'm living in Salford, but I did live in London for a time. But I'm in Salford right. now, the dirty old town that it is. Yeah, I'm making the point, though, you'd have to be on the ground here in Dublin particularly, but around around the rest of the country, but particularly in Dublin, to be aware of what a year it's been here. And I've been on Locked and Loaded with Rick Mon, and one of the things I've been trying to get out to people is you're not hearing on any of the mainstream media, you know, what a surprise, you're not hearing what's actually really taking place here and how exciting it is and how so many people are now getting together just to say, no, you know, we're not far right or any of that, but we're just not going to be dictated to. There's a real grassroots, I know that's a cliche, we try to avoid cliches as much as we can, but there is, isn't there, there's a groundswell of a movement happening and you reckon it's because, not just because of, the the three years of COVID, but particularly because of things that have happened in the last 12 months, Christian? 
Yes, I think so. But it's important to remember that what happened in the last 12 months didn't come fall down from the sky. And that indeed what happened with the COVID, as John Waters calls it, you've had John on no, numerous times. And John is so John Waters is so elegant, eloquent, but he uses the term de COVID. Yeah. And um, de COVID was only part of it, but it was much more recent. But there has been a growing sense of unease, really, since the the start of the two thousands here, where people have been watching gradually our social structure is falling apart, our civil liberties are being stolen from us, and we're being told to be thankful for it. And, you know, it didn't come down overnight in 2020, but certainly it began to accelerate from 2020 and it has really accelerated to this year. Why do you think that is? Why, why the, the haste? Momentum. 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 Um, you, you know, you, you, you sow a seed and it starts to grow and for a while it grows not very visibly. Then everybody looks around and says, you've got the start of a tree. And I think that that is what we had this year. John Waters has a very nice image. He says, if you're going to fill a sports stadium the size of Wembley Stadium with an eyedropper, you know, and you fill it with one drop and then two, then four, then eight. So each successive drop is twice the size of the one before it. You will have the stadium filled in 55 minutes, but it will only be visible at 40 minutes. And I love that. that he's just giving a bit of physics there in relation to how things multiply. But he's also giving a statement in relation to momentum and that the momentum grows from the start but it only becomes visible when you're half, kind of almost halfway through. And if I was to transfer that analogy to Ireland, or particularly to the Republic of Ireland, particularly to Dublin, I'd say we're only at 20 minutes, believe it or not. Um, let's talk about what was called on the, the, the newspapers and all of the mainstream media, the riots in Dublin. Because I went into the city centre of Dublin the next morning, and I, it got me, I live in Hoth, if you know where that is. Out in yeah, Northeast of course Dublin. I do, yeah. And um, I drove in from Hoth to the city centre in 25 minutes. And um, I got a parking space in Smithfield Car Park and there were nine other cars in Smithfield Car Park. And when I stepped out of Smithfield Car Park, there was this lovely smell of charred tram and burnt bus in the air. But there was no person around, nobody around. And this was the morning after the, you know, these big riots that everybody had been clutching their pearls about on the BBC News, particularly RTE. RTE dined out in that thing. They went mental in Montrose over that particular thing. But, you know, it wasn't as bad as people made it out to be. Nobody was injured and nobody was killed. Now, um, one of the things that, that has emerged around those riots and subsequent to it is a growing minority of people, it's still a minority, but a growing minority of people is realising that the mainstream media does not necessarily have our best interests to heart. It's taken them long enough, Christian, hasn't it? It's taken them long enough, hasn't it? But um, maybe, maybe this began back in 2020. When I mean, I like, to, I like to think of our people, if we have a people, if Ireland is a nation of people, as not, not being stupid. Um, from from a starting point, and that in March and April of 2020, I like to think that more Irish people than maybe people in other countries would have been looking around saying, "What pandemic, uh, deadly disease? I don't see any evidence of that. I can't see it anywhere." And maybe that was the genesis of it. Maybe. I I think so. I do. Th- yeah, I agree with you. Um, that was certainly where it began to develop a much more crystallised profile. I think, though, it was coming before then, because, for example, Varadkar became Taoiseach by kind of... He became Taoiseach the way Theresa May became Prime Minister, kind of just by accident. By accident, yeah. And there wasn't an election, and there was hardly a vote. 
And, um, you know, Varadkar was the first sitting Taoiseach, not just for English listeners or for listeners in the UK, Taoiseach means prime minister in the Republic of Ireland. So the term, it's exactly the same as prime minister. And Varadkar became Taoiseach. Um, We had a general election in early February of 2020, and he was the first sitting prime minister or Taoiseach not to be re-elected on the first count and not to top the poll in his constituency. And, I mean, this was traumatic for him, of course, for somebody as narcissistic as that. But it was also, I, I think, redolent of something that was growing before then. So then, after the general election of 2020, I was away on holidays in a beautiful place called Mulrani in the west of Ireland, if you know it. And when I came back to Dublin, to COVID, that whole scam, I'll call it, I'm sure you won't mind me calling it a scam. No. Nope. That whole scam had really got going when I came back to Dublin. Uh, I'd been away for nearly a fortnight down in Western Mayo and I came back to Dublin and it was a different city and people are beginning already now by March of 2020, people, a few real fanatics are starting to wear masks. And I was saying to them, have you ever heard of a severe head cold? Can I introduce you to the concept of a severe head cold? So even back then I was saying, this is rubbish, this is nonsense. And it was, it, it, it's interesting to see the people who, as John Waters said, believed in it fanatically, and then the other group of people who went along to get along, and then the people like myself who were complete dissenters. I was like Enoch Burke. I was the Enoch Burke of COVID from 2020. Now, why were you? Hang on, Christian, hang on. Why? I want to get, because I want to get to know you, because I've been watching your videos on Odyssey. They're excellent, by the way. Odyssey.com, if you haven't heard of Christian before, if you have, well and good, but if you haven't, Christian Morris TV. What was it about your past that led you to a place where you knew it was a scam. My listeners know where I came from and my own particular, you know, journey as to, I hate to use the term awakening, but what about yourself? What started you off understanding that not all is as it seems really in terms of our life and the structures of our life? I wonder if it being gay because, you know, a lot of gay men just kind of inherently have a slightly alternative outlook that just comes with the territory. My answer to you is that I don't know. Yeah. And this is something that myself and lots of my my friends over here in Ireland are saying, what is it about us? <laughs> so Thomas Sheridan isn't gay. John Waters isn't gay. Yet they were as sceptical about it as myself. And yet, so you take Thomas Sheridan and take John Waters. They are alternative people and they're they're, they're out-of-the-box type of people. Thomas has written brilliant books, for example, about psychopathology. And John Waters, we all know, John Waters has a very long history here of writing for various different publications. So, you know, um, I, I haven't really been able to get my head around why it was, but I do recall being a kid and not liking secondary school. And being aware that the environment of my secondary school was a totalitarian one and was also one in which the people there didn't necessarily, again, to reiterate that that cliche, didn't necessarily have our better interests to heart. And um, I, I found that a lot of what I got from secondary school came rushing back to me in 2020, although that had been happening a bit earlier as well, but particularly in 2020. And I just said, this whole thing is a scam. And now they're talking about social distancing. And now they're talking about uh, contact zone and uh, who, who's in your contact bubble and all of that. <laughs> and now they're talking about masks. Yeah. And 
for me, the mask thing was an absolute no-no. That was something, I, you know, I would do the full Enoch Burke on that. You know, yeah. he's gone back into prison again today. Yeah, we, we, funny enough, we talked about it in, in the first hour. Yeah, I can't believe okay, it. Okay, right. Yeah. Then I won't waste your time about Over that. Over the I Christmas. No, no, listen, if you've got something to say about it, by all means, Christian, uh, do go right ahead. Um, well, I mean, Enoch Burke and myself would be on very much the same page insofar as we respectfully reject the notion of transgenderism. In other words, you cannot change your gender. And he is a very respectful man. I met him on that day in March earlier this year when there was pandemonium in the Court of Appeal. I think from a pagan point of view, the gods wanted me to go into the Court of Appeal because I did. <laughs> and I mean, it's, I, I could tell you more but I won't, about exactly how it unfolded in the Court of Appeal. But my goodness, it was not boring. And I shook his hand and I shook the hand of his mother and his brother, um, Josiah. And at this stage now, his brother, Simeon Burke, has been carted off in the, the paddy wagon down to the, you know, to the Bridewell, so I wasn't able to shake his hand. But I found Enoch Burke to be a very calm and zen individual. I found him to be... Like this, the mainstream media love to portray the Burke family as being religious nuts or as being evangelical lulas, and they're not. They're very civil, good-natured, calm people. They don't raise their voices. They don't use bad language, which is more than can be said for myself. They are very controlled individuals in terms of their behaviour. And um, I would be the same regarding transgenderism in as much as I, I completely reject transgenderism, completely. And I reject, moreover, the way that it is being imposed upon people, including children, um, in, in a very coercive way. And that, that the coercive nature of it is becoming less hidden. Can we come back to that, have. Christian? Can we come back to that in 30 seconds? Because I want to ask you this, and this is not a cheap question now. I really mean this. Uh, somebody, I, I'm somebody who, who's had um, two or three very, very close friends who, who are... And, and were gay. Sadly, one of my my friends passed away. But yeah. Enoch would Enoch would believe that you're damned for eternity. Now that well, obviously pray, doesn't no, bother you. I actually think it would be slightly different. I think he and his family pray for my soul. I think that that's the best. So I'm saying that not to be facetious. I think no, they no, pray go for ahead. my soul. And um, I don't think they would in any way wish or gloat at or celebrate me being damned to hell for all eternity, which is not going to happen anyway. But you know, um, they are, they're, they're praying for my soul. And the way I as a pagan would view that is, well, they're sending me good vibes. They, they wish well upon me insofar as they don't want me to be damned to hell for all eternity. So part of the pagan religion that myself and Thomas Sheridan and the rest of us are part of is that we recognize Christianity as a comparative religion. And part of that means that if they're sending us the good vibes, then you take it as the good vibes. You know, we have to accept the fact that theologically we don't agree, but hey, you know, that's how it is. We agree on the transgenderism thing. Certainly, we completely agree on it. But his point of view, listening to his mother articulate it the other night, his mother is very articulate and very eloquent, Martina. You know, they say that it is against God's will. I say that transgenderism is against the force of nature. But essentially, their position is identical to mine and that we see it as sacrilegious. That's really interesting, Christian. Christian Morris is our guest. I'm really fascinated by that. Um, Christian Morris TV, odyssey.com. No, I genuinely am, and I might come back to that in a few minutes because you've reminded me of something that happened many, many years ago. I, I don't have many brain waves. I genuinely don't. I'm not being modest here. I don't have many light bulb moments. But, about, <laughs> but I don't. But about three or four years ago, I was thinking back to... 
um, you know, coming to terms with a friend of mine telling me when we were 16 that he was gay and me not being the best friend in the world to him. I wasn't abusive or anything, but I just didn't know how to deal with it. And anyway, that's the way it was. And, you know, everybody grew up and we we're all fine and all the rest of it. But I had this kind of light bulb moment where I thought, wow, this is a real problem, this transgender agenda for young gay men who are coming to terms with their sexuality. Oh, yeah. Because it's giving oh, yeah. them an out. It's giving them. Oh, yeah. It's telling them something that's fundamentally wrong. It's saying, yes, "Well, right. you're not. You're you're not gay. In fact, you're a woman, but you were born in the wrong body." That's, well, that's right. if that's not homophobic, I don't know what is. Absolutely, you, you've taken the words out of my mouth, and you're using another term that we've come across here: transing the gay away. Yeah. And you know, as one person said on my, um, both on my Odyssey and on on Twitter, it is the most barbaric and coercive form of conversion therapy of all, and. You will get boys who are sissyish and you will get girls who are butch, but that doesn't mean they're any less of a boy or any less of a girl simply because she plays a train set or he plays a dolls and likes dresses and makeup. And, you know, Kelly J. Keane, who I have a lot of time for, she came to Dublin not long ago, you know, she says that you can be a transvestite and it's okay to be a transvestite, but don't be saying that you're a woman. You're a man dressing in women's clothing, putting on a wig, maybe putting on makeup, and that's okay. It's actually, it, there's nothing wrong with being a transvestite. I don't see anything morally wrong with it. I don't see anything practically wrong with it. But don't be saying that you're a woman trapped in a man's body and that you can do something that a certain person in Brighton at the moment did by standing in the ladies' toilets in St. Pancras Railway Station. I interviewed a woman and you might come across Diane maybe and I, I think Diane would be brilliant for um, for, for someone like you to chat with um, certain, when I say yeah. someone like you I mean somebody who's you know researching this particular topic and, and talking about it um, I interviewed her only the one time and I keep saying I'm going to get her back on and then I just don't get around to it but Diane yeah. originally from Wales but is living in southwest Ireland now and um, talk to me in, uh, in great detail and incredibly interesting about gender dysphoria. And eventually Diane had the surgery um, and is a transsexual woman. And um, it was a really fascinating conversation and uh, it explained about how it all happened. Diane would, would see eye to eye with you on, on pretty much all of this, that it's ridiculous to be telling boys and girls, oh yeah, yeah, you are, so, so therefore have the surgery. Diane wouldn't agree with any of that at all. But um, it is... Are transsexual people, people with, gen, with, with, with real serious gender dysphoria who were never going to be happy or able to live a happy life until they had the surgery, are they somehow omitted from this debate somehow? Or do we forget about them? No, we, I, don't, I, no? I don't think they are, but it doesn't change the biology or the scientific objectivity of the fact that you cannot turn a man into a woman. So a man uh, gets a sex change and becomes, at least in his perception, a woman. I mean, it's what actually... Um, what um, Katie Hopkins said. She said, you know, you want to call yourself a hat stand. Well, I'm delighted for you that you're calling yourself a hat stand. No, honestly, really, I am delighted for you that you're calling yourself a hat stand. But I'm afraid that you're not going to change what's in my head. And it's the same thing there. I mean, if a person feels more individuated by getting the surgery and all of that, well, that's a, a, really a private matter. But the idea then of falsifying a, a birth cert retrospectively, which I find exceedingly sinister. That's like straight out of 1984, the falsification of old historical records. I think it's exceedingly sinister. You know, when I was born, I was born a boy, and so were you. And to be saying that the doctor who or whoever wrote on the birth certificate, boy, male, that essentially they were wrong, that's a lie. 
it's 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 a it's a it's a libel to to suggest that whoever filled out that birth certificate was was mistaken, you know. And this is actually something that assigned male comics goes on with. This particular guy called Sophie LaBelle or Billy, as I like to call him, does these cartoons, which are I mean I won't bore you with the details of them. But one of them says, I was assigned male at birth, but they got it wrong. Well, what part did they get wrong, Billy? You know, so unfortunately, as much as Diane, as as much as we might subjectively sympathize with Diane, and as much as that person may be, as much as he might be a nice person or a, a good individual, you cannot change the objective scientific facts. And that's Enoch Burke's position, and it's mine. Yeah, but, but Diane, um, Diane is a little bit, I'm 48, Diane's a little bit older. Um, Diane is not expecting society to revolve around Diane. Is not well, demanding. Then Diane is reasonable. Yeah. Then Diane is not part of that cult. No, no, of course where... not. Nothing like it. No, hundred percent not. And is not demanding that society bends over backwards to facilitate Diane's life experience and her lived experience. Yeah. No, yeah. Jesus, not or nothing yeah. like it. No, like I said earlier, uh, Diane would be in complete agreement that what is happening in schools now is tantamount to madness. It's dangerous. It's awful. And um, oh, yeah. she she would say that these kids, you know, some of them would have gender dysphoria. Dan would say, I, I, I hate to be putting words in her mouth, I definitely have no choice but to get her back on now. But she would say that while some would, maybe a small minority, would have gender dysphoria, um, many of them have not got gender dysphoria, but they've been pro- programmed somehow. A social contagion, my guest yeah. uh, Jana said in the first hour. What do you reckon? Well, yes, absolutely. And... It's what we would say, kind of on, on on our kind of tribe, we'd be talking about how the NPCs can have anything put in their heads. So, for example, we witnessed that in Ireland with the Ukraine scam in 2022. You know, and suddenly, all of out of the blue, you will pardon the pun, came all of this Ukraine carry-on, and oh, the, Mr. Putin is, you know, he's the next Hitler, and he's doing this, that, and all the other in Ukraine. It turns out that one of the things that's happening in Ukraine that's not happening in Ireland is a metro is being built in their capital where we're not. We still don't have a metro in Dublin or a railway line to the airport. So, you know, it immediately again, it was actually the Ukraine scam was very similar to the COVID because, you know, at the start of it, I said, this is rubbish. I said, you know, Ukraine is still about half the size of Brazil and most of it is still not in war. What is RTE clutching their pearls about today? And I don't know how I how I stretched onto that, but I suppose NPCs will just take the next thing that's put into their head. John yeah. Waters uses the term the Pavlovian response, and he's right. Do you get it's a, wag- a Pavlovian thing? Do, do, do you get a wag the dog wag the dog vibe from Ukraine? I said this about a year and a half. Oh ago. yeah. Oh God, yes. Oh yeah. yes. Yeah, I do. I mentioned this to was it the great Paul Craig Roberts who used to be in Reagan's cabinet, who was a regular guest. You'd love Paul Craig Roberts. He's in his 80s now, but as sharp as a tack. And he, he, he cut me down to pieces. He said, no, no way, no, it is genuine. And I'm like, I don't know, Paul. I'm not sure that this is a genuine war, to be honest. It doesn't smell like one to me. And then I got sent videos and people say, oh, it is. But I don't know. For listeners who don't know, I mean, you can tell them if you want, Christian. Wag the Dog was a very famous film about a government which is in serious trouble. And it invents a war, doesn't it, to distract from its problems. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm not familiar with the film, but I broad. I mean, I I know what you're talking about very broadly with that yeah. film, and yes, I mean, what happened in Ukraine was that from 24. Um, and my knowledge of Ukraine is not very good, but what happened from 2014, I gather, is that 
there is increasing persecution of Russian minorities in the east of Ukraine. And it got to a point where the Russian Duma, which is the parliament of the Russian Federation, authorised military intervention to protect those people. And that came to a head in 2022 with what RTE were jumping up and down about, about the Ukraine war, where in fact it was a military incursion that was authorised by the Duma of Russia to protect people, who, to protect Russian minorities in Ukraine who were being persecuted. And that had been precipitating at least since 2014. And the Russians had been reluctant to intervene, but they had to do so because there was serious... I mean, we don't hear about a pogrom of some 10,000 ethnic Russians that happened before 2020. No, we don't. And that, I think, was probably quite critical in pushing them forward to having to intervene the way that they did. But the idea that... I, mean, well, I remember hearing one person in Dublin kind of frothing at the mouth and saying, Putin is a nut and he wants to ride roughshod over all of Ukraine. I said... Margaret, who told you this? Where did you get this from? Me knowing the answer that it was RTE. It was RTE, of course it was. And for listeners who don't understand the history of the region, even Wikipedia tells the truth amazingly about the 2014 coup in Ukraine, which I covered on this programme extensively. This is when Victoria Newland, who was Obama's Eurasian secretary, Victoria Newland oversaw the coup that threw out Viktor Yanukovych from Ukraine because he was pro-Russian and because Ukraine yeah. was about to sign a big deal with Russia. And Ukraine was not going to go into the European Union. There's so much um, that people don't know, but I'm delighted. Christian Morris is our guest. Odyssey.com. Look for Christian Morris. I kind of embarrassed that so many of my listeners knew all about you. Like, what the hell is going on here? I'm, I'm well used to embarrassing people. Very good. I like it. Christian... I have a lot of experience at embarrassing people. Don't worry. Um, what we're seeing with Ukraine is essentially that it's being fragmented in the way that Germany was, in a sense, after the Second World War. It's never going to go back to what it was before 2014 or 2020 or 2022. Um, it's never going to be the unified Ukrainian state that seceded from the USSR in the 1990s. And um, it's probably what's going to happen to Zelensky's bit of Ukraine, is anybody's guess. Is that going to collapse socially? Is it going to collapse infrastructurally? Who knows? But the idea that those parts of eastern Ukraine that have now been annexed by Russia, that are, as every day goes past, are being further integrated into the infrastructure of Russia, that that's going to be reversed. It's not going to happen. And... Thomas Sheridan, who's... Uh, do you know Thomas Sheridan? I do. He was on oh, with brilliant. me, I'd say, eight years ago, I'd say. If, if, yeah, if not a bit and longer. Yeah, he was interesting, yeah. Definitely. So he's very interesting. He's actually been very formative in reshaping the whole furniture of my mind. But one of the things that he laughs about is, he says, you know, practically every day you go to RTE in the Irish Times and it's almost literally Zelensky's at the gates of Moscow. Now, oh yes, Zelensky's, <laughs> oh yeah, just about to say, mm, absolutely. Russia's just about to, what's Putin going to do? And if we is just Putin give him some win? more weapons, if we just give him a few more tanks and yeah. a few more bazookas, absolutely, yeah. Give him a bit more money. And then, yeah. of course, on the 7th of October, I think the, 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 they changed the record on, uh, they took the particular record off the turntable and I don't think Zelensky particularly liked the music after the 7th of October. No, he's in Washington today begging for, for more money and for more weapons. So I like what you said, I agree. Obviously Ukraine will never go back to being the way it was and Russia will retain land in the east, no doubt about that. So knowing this is inevitable, you'd imagine the European Union, the United States, would get together and say, right, we've got to have 
a treaty immediately, but they're not. Do you think the reason they're not is because they're milking the the illusion of a massive conflict? They want to milk it for all it's worth. In other words, to continue to blame it for the cost of living crisis and for everything else. Is that why they're doing it, do you think? I think it's hard to get to the bottom of their entire range of motives. But I would say that there's the more prosaic thing of momentum. So they've started this. And it's very much like the transgender cult. It has started. And once it starts going, well, then how are you going to turn it around and make it stop? And again, it takes back, it comes back to what's going on in Ireland here. People are saying, some kind of truthers are saying, well, you know, Farad Crystal Taoiseach and Higgins still in the park, etc., etc. And the more sane of us are saying there has been a huge ship of woke globalism sailing in Ireland for a very, very long time. And what we saw in 2023 was that that ship began to slow down. And, you know, if you have a large cruise liner and it's heading towards America and you want to take it back to Europe, you're not going to just turn it around like a speedboat. It has to begin to slow down. And then it has to stop and then you have to turn it around and you have to restart it going back in the direction it came from. And that is the same type of heavy momentum that we are up against in Ireland and that we're also seeing in the Ukraine. They started this war in the Ukraine. Essentially, they began, it really began going under a real gangster called Barack Obama. And do you remember when Obama was in College Green in Dublin? And he said, Is Fager Ling? I do, and really well, yeah. I'm, I mean, man, Woke Ireland just lost. They, they've never recovered from that. Is Fager Ling. And they all, it, it was unreal how they responded. They responded like a crowd of infants. They was, it's like Santa fell off the Christmas tree in front of them when he did that. And... Uh, Obama was, it was during Obama's time that that coup that you referred to about five minutes ago happened. And that that whole momentum that led us to the war that really got going, or that Russia was provoked into doing in 2022, that that was when that momentum got going. They're not going to just turn around now and say, oh, well, shucks, we got it wrong. What they may try and do now is get to some kind of a a face-saving peace treaty. Russia has won. Russia has won in Ukraine. One. And now they have to kind of talk their way out of this. And I don't know what they're going to do in RTE. Do you know what I don't like? And um, this is nothing to do with you now because I haven't seen any of your videos yet that deal with um, Russia. By the way, it's Christian Morris, odyssey.com, Christian Morris TV. You'll find Christian immediately. So, so I don't know what you've been um, vlogging about on this, Christian, but I'm kind of, I'm always amused by people who. Because Russia has been on the right side of a few things, it's been on the right side of Syria, obviously, very importantly, but people declare Russia to be some sort of a panacea, and I really get annoyed by this, because no, I... Not, that's I, right. It's you not. know, this pisses me off. I mean, and I'm, I'm speaking to a gay gentleman. Um, Russia's no place for gay people, for a start. I know, that's not true. What I'd say about, about Russia and Belarus is that the LGBT rainbow unicorn carry-on hasn't actually taken off there. Is Russia... I mean, I looked heavily into the notion of being a gay man in Russia and or Belarus. Are you thinking of moving there, are, Christian? Pardon? Did you think about maybe relocating there? Not immediately. Right. But not today and probably not tomorrow, as we say here. Not today and probably not tomorrow. But yeah. I looked closely at the nature of life in, in Russia and Belarus. Belarus is the only country in Europe that still practices the death penalty. 
um, if you ever want to shut uh, a woke American up, just tell them that if you take the USA and take the Russian Federation, 50% of those countries practices the death penalty. That's right. That'll shut a, a woke American up. Or well, No, you actually probably won't. But, you know, Russia abolished the death penalty 25 years ago. The US still practices it. So they can get off their high horse if they want to start pre- uh, preaching about Russia. But certainly the notion of gay marriage, certainly the notion of truning, all of this carry-on that we've had foisted upon us in the West, uh, the Russians have been a lot more cagey about that. I think Russia would probably... My, the impression I get of Russia is that it would be a safe enough country for me to live openly as gay, but not to go around offending people. You know, you still have to be a bit discreet and have a bit of grace. Even Belarus, which RTE... I mean, RTE makes Belarus sound like Hell's Inferno, and it's not. Yeah. What, can I ask you, hang on, hang on, hang on. What do you mean by you still have to be discreet? What do you mean exactly by that? How, how would that work? I never did pride parades. I never did that carry on. I never was into pride parades. I don't think they like pride parades very much in those Slavic countries. But we've got that much in common. And that whole pride thing is awful. And it's, it's, it's counterproductive. And, you know, uh, no. No, I mean, I'll say this. Let me argue with we you. Let me, to... let, me, let me argue with you. I love an argument. And I've got the right oh, man now for the argument. Um, there are those who would say, obviously, you have more than you have more of a right to an opinion than me, me as a straight bloke. But there are those who would say, well, the wonderful thing about Pride is it is recognising that there was a time not too long ago when to be gay, when I say not too long ago, we're talking 30 years ago, maybe, but to be gay could result in you having your head kicked in and you were certainly discriminated against. And Pride is the way of saying, listen, we can be um, in same-sex relationships and we can be in public and it's all fine and dandy and it's a nod back to a time when it wasn't so good. So what's wrong with that? What's wrong with it is that Pride got itself, there was an enforced teamship with the Troons. And moreover, moreover, if we look at so many Pride parades, you know, there's a lot of nudity, there's a lot of very hypersexualized behavior, there's a lot of inclusion of children in it, which obviously is wrong completely from the outset. And it, it's not something that I have ever, and I came out in 1999, it's not something I've ever wanted to associate with from the moment I came out. Accepting that you're in a minority means that I accept that I have the right not to have my head kicked in. I have the right to have a consensual relationship with another adult man of my choice in private. But that you know, we cannot, we cannot, as a minority, impose the values of our minority on the majority. So this is how a fair republic works. It recognises the space for minorities to have for ourselves. But we don't have the right to voice that on the mainstream. Fair enough. Yeah, and look, look, I do obviously know gay men and women, and they're my age and older. I'm pushing 49 now. And they've I'm got fifty. Get over it. So yeah, I'm, ne- I'm nearly there, Chris. I'm nearly there. Yeah. But but yeah. I, look, you'll probably have had similar experiences. I think the more adult and the more mature a gay person is, the more they might be a little bit uncomfortable about what pride has become. I mean, look, I know, oh, yeah. I know that in Manchester, some pretty crazy, you know, sexual stuff that does belong, 
you know, and listen, everybody to their own, whatever kinks you're into. But some of the stuff that happens during the day, during the parade, is certainly not for the eyes of children. And I know, you know, a lot of gay men and women, and they're marginalised, they're not listened to. They don't get a, a chance to speak on TV or radio about it, but but they don't like that. So I kind of I kind of get that. Can I ask you this then, right? Because one, one of the things that comes up on this show quite often is this notion of gaslighting. I talk a lot about how, in my opinion, how states through the pillars of the state, through the media, through um, the health service and, and through education, gaslight people, constantly telling people that they are bad, that they are guilty, that they are racist, that they are homophobic. And I don't think we are, but I, I don't have a right to say that because I don't, you know, I'm not a gay man, I've not experienced that. Is homophobia a thing in Ireland in 2023? And when I say, no. right, why, why isn't it? Uh, the Irish people are tolerant. You know yourself. You know, you're, you, you, you're Irish. And it's very much similar to that Slavic thing that I described in Russia and Belarus. Look, live your better life in private the way you want to, but don't be expecting us to kind of go to your pride parades or to, to necessarily like what you're doing. And this gets back to the Burks. You know, the Burks are praying for my soul and they disapprove of homosexuality. Well, that's their right. But, you know, um, the whole woke thing says that people are not entitled to have private opinions which dissent from the, the consensus that woke fo- voice upon people. You know, Ireland, in my opinion, is a very, very safe place to be gay in. And it always has been. Um, but you'll always get nasty people out there, and I'm afraid that's a fact of life. Is that, because is, we'll move away now from sexuality, because I want to talk to you more about what's happening in Ireland in the time we have left. But, but that's always been my kind of approach, even though I suppose I, I've not been in a minority, really. But it is that, like, you will encounter people in your journey that will be nasty and might say things you don't like, but that you've got to brush it off, accept it, and kind of move on. But things have changed, and now it's kind of moved on to, well, you should have the rights to basically destroy the person who said the unkind thing. or yeah. And that's not right. So, so I do no, get that. No, it's not that. right yeah. at all. It's not right at all. Um, unfortunately you know, uh, we're we're surrounded by snowflakes. And recently I was at a meeting in which somebody was talking about a code of conduct. And somebody else at the meeting said, this isn't school. You're talking to adults here, and sometimes adults disagree. Oh, well, this person said, at one of our previous meetings, there was a very uh, unpleasant uh, exchange of opinions, and there were a lot of attacks. And I intervened, and I said, what I think you mean by the word attacks is that people made unpleasant remarks about other people. My understanding of attack is that somebody runs at you with a broken bottle. Right. That would be my, yeah. That might be my understanding of the word attack. I said people said things that others disagreed with, and people called each other maybe were a little bit insulting towards one another. But surely, you know, part of being an adult is just to move on. But you live. Isn't that right, Christian? I had this when I was younger. I had a grandfather, and I had... Um, a next door neighbour who was an elderly gentleman who told me when I was whinging about something somebody had said shut up about it, just live with it, you know, learn to argue back or just walk away and have a conversation with somebody else. Christian Morris is our guest, it's lovely to speak to Christian, you can find him on odyssey.com Christian Morris TV I believe he's on Twitter too um, I will, of course, put links to, uh, this is a live radio show, but when it is podcasted later on, the show notes will have links to where you can find Christian. He's got thousands of subscribers and building them. We're not surprised, really. This is great Thank conversation. Thank Thanks, you. Christian. So, so Thank you. I moved to Odyssey because I was tired of the soy boy censoring 
blessed everything I put on YouTube. So my YouTube channel is rather like the Western Rail Corridor. It's still intact, but no, <laughs> that's had no passengers for a long time. So why do we trust <laughs> uh, no, no passengers for a while? Why do we trust... Now, I don't say... When I say we, I don't mean we, because I don't use any of them. I'm not on video uh, platforms at the moment. So when people say... It's great bit shooting, it's great honesty. Why do we trust them? What's to say that in 18 months' time they won't be captured, just like Twitter yeah. and the rest? Yeah, I mean, who knows? But who knows where we'll be 18 months' time from now? I mean, you could say that to all of those people who lived in southern Israel on the 6th of October. The people who lived in southern Israel on the 6th of October had made plans for the week ahead, and how did that turn out? Yeah. So I'm not worried about 18 months ahead, but what I say for now, the reason why I'm a big fan of Odyssey and why I, I, for a while I was putting my stuff on YouTube and also posting simultaneously to Odyssey, but I just got tired of being doxxed or um, veated on, or yeeted, I think it is, on YouTube, bless it all, the time. And I just said, no, I'm getting out of here and I'm going to just start, I'm going to, uh, I had a following of about 2,000 on YouTube or slightly less, and no, I said, I, I can't be having with this. None of my material is monetized at all, anywhere. And this is why I'm not making money from any of the stuff I do. I do it because I believe, first of all, we are facing a serious threat to our freedoms. And we're in a totalitarian or potentially totalitarian environment here where it takes all of us to stand up and say no. I stood up and said no in 2020 by simply refusing to wear a mask. And um, this is why I went over to Odyssey, because Odyssey, I mean, if I were to put up, let's hypothesize and say I were to put up child pornography, they'd have that down and the account closed in five minutes. But they're not, um, Odyssey aren't, you know, censoring me when I question to COVID scam or start making remarks about troons and that kind of thing. And I mean, and I will warn anybody who comes over to my channel, and thank you very much for the shout outs, I'm very obliged to you, but I'm not using bad language on your channel tonight. If you are, if you have a problem with bad language, you may, may have a problem with my odyssey. Now my listeners are falling off their stool with the irony there, because um, it, it does get a bit sweary here from time to time. So here's my, okay. final, here's my final question today, because we've only got about five minutes left, but I think it's an important one. I believe that those who have said that Ireland is being used as a petri dish by those who would wish to completely change and transform human experience and the, the way we live our lives, why, why is Ireland uh, seemingly being chosen? To, uh, to test the grounds for what might be rolled out for everybody else. Why Ireland? Well, uh, we can hypothesise about the why, but we can say they failed. Because we saw this year, this is what I say to everybody, I say, you know, Thomas Sheridan was saying it, we were all, John Waters was saying it, Dave Cullen was saying it, hang in there and watch and wait. And it all came true in 2023. What we saw in 2023 was that effectively like kind of a skin graft, it was rejected in 2023. And, you know, with a skin graft or with certain things that true women who think they're becoming men get, I won't go into too many details, you know, once it's rejected, it won't come back. And a certain body politic in Ireland just turned around in 2023 and said, no, we're done with you now. And what motivated the globalists, whoever it was, to try this before 2023 has now become very much moot by the fact that it was turned away in 2023. 
for me, one of the most potent symbols of our success in 2023. And it has been successful here in Ireland. And I have to get this over to anybody listening in the UK or anywhere else. The success that we have achieved in this country is beyond my wildest dreams. And I say that so seriously. What we have done in this country this year, we've created one of the most successful protest movements and dissent movements in the history of the world. I don't exaggerate with that. And um, for me, one of the most potent symbols of it was these grannies in a part of Dublin called Turnipen, which would be quite a conservative and normy part of Dublin, turning out against, you know, the globalists and being shoved around by guards. The guards weren't particularly brutal with them, but they did shove them around. And when that kind of social class, that demographic and that age group is coming out to protest against the establishment, that means the establishment has, has a problem. That's a brilliant answer, Christian. Would you come back with me early in the new year? To, well, I'd specifically like to talk about the referenda and the constitutional oh, yeah. amendments proposed about oh, women yeah. in the home. I think you'd be, um, well, I think you'd be brilliant on a number of topics, but that would be great to get into in the meantime. But look, um, thanks for coming on. A, a shout out to our mutual friend, Jean Ann Crowley, because Jean Ann said to me, you've got to get Christian on. I'm glad that she did. And then uh, hilariously afterwards, listeners were coming back saying, oh yeah, I listen to, uh, I'm very jealous. I get very possessive, you see, with my listeners. I'm like, What's the, what the hell is going on? But um, okay. obviously not. That's that's lovely. So it's odyssey.com, Christian Morris TV. He's not in it to make yeah. anything. Money doesn't interest him. And monetization, he just wants to um, talk about and things. And for all the sweariness. It's I watch out for the swearing. And can I say this before we do go? Because if I don't, um, it would be unfair to my listeners. A number of them, and this has not come from Jean Anne, this has come from yeah. Shane, it's come from Seamus, it's also come from Melanie. They say they love yeah. about they, they love about Christian that um, despite everything else you've got on, um, you're caring for your parents who are elderly. They're in their 90s, God love them, God bless them. Mm. And uh, that's touched a lot of people, that. So um, I didn't know ah. that, so so that's lovely. Ah, that's very kind. That's a no, And I say that on all earnestness. You know, the, the good vibe. My parents, I don't mind saying this to everybody. My parents are 93 and 94, and they didn't get the jab. It's and, wonderful. you know, aren't we so much better off now? They're better off now. Christian, it was a pleasure. You made the show, pal. God Thanks for coming you. on. God bless Happy you. Happy Christmas. And Merry Christmas back. Thank you, Christian. Christian Morris, live on Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show. Again, a big shout out to Jean Ann for making the connection. Lovely bloke, isn't he? As uh, was Jana, Jana London in Air One. Real Irish feel to the programme today, the things going on in Ireland, which are meant to go on ultimately in the rest of the world and um, thanks uh, to you for your comments as well lots of them coming in hi to bridget who says christian is a brilliant guest and then she puts a big smiley face uh, i get you i get you uh yeah he's a a, a tonic and john says this john nichols who's a, an old pal of mine he says richie my missus has been watching eric west at hawaii real estate on youtube who's trying to get the word out about a fire in lahena He's promoting a book called Burn Back Better. He's being shadow banned and I think he'd be a very interesting uh, guest. Well, see, I didn't know anything about this, John. The reason I read this out, I ordinarily don't read out when listeners recommend guests. I don't read those out. I usually get back to the listeners, but um, it just goes to prove, you see, when you're all by yourself, don't cry for me. Don't cry for me, Argentina. But I don't see much. It's the thing, you see, it's a real problem, this. Operating at this level... I really should have a producer and a guest booker, but I don't. And I'm not going to, so we've just got to get over that. But I do appreciate the recommendations. And when I can, 
I do check them out and try to get them on because it is helpful. So I'm, I'm quite happy to receive them. Thank you, John. I really appreciate that. Hi to Perksy. Thank you, Perksy. I'll pass that on to Christian. Kev says, um, going to have a big Guinness on a Tuesday with a big smile on my face, says Kevin Tyrone. And that's because he enjoyed listening to Christian Morris in the second hour of today's Richie Allen show. Hi to John P. Hi to Robbie Retard. Hi, Robbie. That's very honest. I'm only joking. <laughs> very honest. <laughs> right, we're nearly done then um, uh, for today. What was I going to tell you? Now, it could go one of two ways tomorrow. My old pal, Dr. Jesse Keener, who's lovely, Jesse reached out to me and um, said we must connect, might be on with me tomorrow. And if she is all well and good, we'll do a phone-in on Thursday. But if Jesse is going to do Thursday, we'll have a phone-in tomorrow. I suppose the smart way of putting this is keep an eye on the Twitter feed and the Facebook feed for The Richie Allen Show, if you can. Right, both of them are twitter.com forward slash Richie. And the other one is facebook.com forward slash Richie, which I don't manage. It's managed by Raj, who really is a real person. Nobody believes this, but Raj is real. And because um, I deleted the Facebook page for the Richie Allen show, you might remember. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't, I tells you. Before the whole COVID bollocks, Facebook deleted it. That's right. Facebook deleted it. And Raj said, I'm going to start another one. And I said, don't, because let's not look like we're going crawling to these people. But Roger wanted it because um, he likes the comments and he likes to post stuff on there from time to time. So there is a Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Richie. And uh, tomorrow I'll post about whether there's going to be a phone in or not. It's all hands to the pump here at BBG Towers because El Frago Tremendo flew out of Manchester Airport this morning at six o'clock. She had to be there for just before four on Air France. Air France, if you please. And uh, she's gone back to spend a week with the wonderful um, mother-in-law of mine and sister-in-law. Spends a week before Christmas. She hasn't done it for a couple of years, or more than a couple of years. So I'm left with everything. I've got it all on my plate. I've got to do all the dog walking several times a day. It's not fun. And then try to produce a programme for you. So uh, a phone-in will give me a break, actually. But if I do a phone-in and you don't ring me, I'll find you and I'll kill you where you stand. I thought I'd just put that in there. Thank you so much to Jana London. She's a brilliant um, researcher, Jana. Very, very well briefed, isn't she, when she comes on. And thanks to Christian Morris. It was a real pleasure to make his acquaintance. That's it for today's programme. I'm back with you early tomorrow with The Papers, uh, the podcast, which is a very simple and very silly thing. Me reading The Papers, it'll be online early. It's online only. And then The Richie Allen Show back tomorrow at four o'clock. I am going to get the podcast online and take the dogs out to do their business, and then feed them, because somebody is swanning it in Paris. Jesus, anyway, here's Roy Orbison. We interrupted Roy a bit earlier on, so we'll give him another spin. See you tomorrow, and thanks for listening. Bye now.